Boom! Hey, we gonna be having some fun. Did you not hear this? Or do you, are you, are you toned up, Kim? I, I hear it. it. sounds great. You are a dancer. This is you, Tim. This is you right here. I think we need to prep our guests for the hip hop that's that yeah, is. Yeah, Tim, I got to teach us in schools all on selling. I'm going to school you and teach you how to get a little rhythm. Well, <laughs> now, before we start, Jim, you need to understand that one of my first sales jobs in college was selling two short and easy e-tapes out of a trunk in Inglewood when I went to Loyola. So I'm a little bit steeped in real hip hop culture. I was posting something to my Facebook page to tell everybody to join live. And uh, I was afraid that sounded like a Wiz Khalifa beat anyway. So, but I'm with you, buddy. Good man. Good man. I like Dude, you got, you got, you're full of secrets. You're a trove of stuff. I want to get it all out to you because every time I say your name or read something from you, it's just like, wait, what? He saved a dying child in India who was suffocating on a marble. I mean, what? It's, it's, it's hey, man, awful. dial up some big crit. Let's dial up some big crit and get with it, man. Uh, right, right. So you got it all going on. So we're going to have some fun with this. Our grouch. Live on Periscope. So thanks, Pete. What's this? Uh, why aren't you smoking weed? You live in Colorado. How do you know I haven't been? <laughs> 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 all right. Hey, folks, listen. Welcome to the show. Welcome to The Word, episode 23, where we are all about dropping mad wisdom and teaching you how the world of sales is changing. We're doing it in a fun, energetic way. We are not about the old school suit and tie, old school boring selling. So today I am super, super, super off the charts excited to introduce our man, Kiki, Mr. Tim Sanders. <laughs> Tim is the author of a dope new book. It's not even out yet. So when is it out, Tim? It comes out Tuesday, February 23rd, but we're shipping a free chapter, Sales Genius as a Team Sport, today. You go to dealstorming.net. You can sign up, get the free chapter today. Kiki, let's drop that in the comments. Ah, here it is, folks. Here it is. Dealstorming. This is, this is good. Thanks. This is good. Look, he Tim, Tim knows how a thing or two about selling. Tim is a best-selling author. Um, I'm going to butcher this. Love is the killer app, which uh, I have to admit I have not read. I went. I went. With the prequel, the sequel before is phenomenal. There's some really interesting. Um, what do I want to say here? Angles or methods that are. So germane to today. So that's all we're going to talk about today is his book. Excellent. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. So um, this is what I want to say. If you are either selling big deals, and to feel free to, to argue back, but I saw this permanent enterprise big deal thing because the amount of investment that was required. Small deals, transactional deals, it's not going to work. But if you're selling big deals, if you're selling million-dollar deals and you want to make sure that these things go and you want to increase the chance of winning, pay very close attention for the next hour because these fundamentals are going to change how you go after that. So I'm super, super, super excited to have you, Tim. Welcome, my man. Thank you. And, you know, I just want to say that in my experience, the secret to sales success is to always reach higher, right? So, you know, you may be watching right now and you don't sell big deals, but I'm telling you over the course of your career to move up, you've got to move up your goals. So even if it's not a million dollar deal, you may be selling a deal into a new category or with a very famous company that's going to change the game for you. And the more important the deal, the more complex the deal. And I think that's really where deal storming should come into play for you. Be a real you know, tool for you to use. I like that. I just um, it's funny. I just wrote a blog post yesterday. It actually got picked up by Top Sales World. That was fast. They liked it. Mm. And um, basically it says you're. you're um, your comfort cult, your comfort compass is broken. And basically what I said was, I talked about this idea that a lot of people get comfortable being the big fish in a little pond yep. and extremely uncomfortable being the little fish in a big pond. Right. And I flip that script. You actually need to be extremely uncomfortable being the big fish in a little pond and very comfortable being the little fish in a big pond. And that sort of steps to what you're talking about, right? You may not be selling Absolutely. millions today, but if you're reaching... Right? If you're looking like I, I'm the little fish in people and I want to get to be the big fish and go find a new pond, then that's the attitude. So I like what you said there. Yeah. And, you know, just, just to kind of build on this, and, and this is something I observed at SalesStack, you know, where you and I met, 
is that today there's such an emphasis on freemium to premium, right? So we start out, we've got a product that's a free demo. We've got a sales development rep. There's no money. Let's just get you on the hook for five grand. And we're going to grow this into 50 and 100 and 200. I get all that for certain SaaS companies, but in the mainstream tech solution space, that is death by a thousand cuts. Because what happens is someone with more ambition than you comes in and wraps that entire company up with an enterprise deal that's million dollars and it pushes out all the try and buy competitors. I've been seeing this since 1995 when I first got in this space. It keeps on happening. So I tell startups all the time, you got to raise your sights. You got to go for the big guns. Your biggest barrier to entry is a big deal. I like that. I like that a lot. So with that said, then let's talk about your book. Let's talk about deal storming. The idea, right? So it's called deal storming. Start there. What is deal storming? Um, define it for us. So, so deal storming combines the linear deal making way of thinking, A to B to C to D, known case studies, verified facts with the freewheeling brainstorming technology where you're coming up with creative, surprising ideas that are appropriate to a solution. Deal storming is when you have a big sales challenge, big deal, save a big account, and you put together a team involving everyone who has a stake in the outcome. And through collaboration and transparency and working across different departments or with inside champions, you find a way to create next best plays. Because what deal storming is all about is not the eureka moment, just the next best play. I'm taking a Coach K Duke phrase here. And in my experience, I, as a consultant, as a Yahoo guy, I've done around two and a half billion dollars worth of sales um, enterprise. There is no big idea that lands the big sale. A big sale is a hundred problems solved. So deal storming is really about yeah, collaborating on the next solved. best play. I thought a thousand problems solved. Yeah, Toy Story was a thousand problems solved, that's for sure. And I've certainly seen some situations, we worked on deals that were that complex too. You know, the point is, it's really about rapid problem solving and deal storming is when an account executive builds a team across departments, opens the door to ideas and really figures out how to unleash sales innovation. Okay, so you're really smart, okay? I'm reading your you're book. You're really smart. Do you? No, I'm not. you're really smart. So I'm gonna take, I'm gonna push you a little today, right? Because salespeople, for the most part, aren't really smart. They're very intuitive, high EQ. They're not the smartest people in the world, right? So all of that, deal storming again, my favorite, my favorite phrase in the first part, deal making plus brainstorming. Right. Why does it matter? And think about this from a salesperson's perspective, from a salesperson's vernacular. Why do I care? I'm sitting inside of Cisco. I'm sitting inside of Oracle. I'm sitting inside of, you know, Honeywell, GE. And this guy's talking about deal storming. What is it again? So think about it this way. It is a process that allows you as an account executive to collaborate across the company to solve your biggest challenges. In my experience, through 100 multi-million dollar engagements, we close seven out of 10, okay? That's three X higher than the close ratio when you do it inside the sales silo. So if you wanna dramatically improve your close ratio on big deals or save big accounts, this is a good process. But I'll tell you something else, Jim. If you want to become a leader inside your company, and contribute to a corporate culture of innovation, deal storming is your platform. Over and over again, I've seen people that created deal storm teams to go after a specific sales opportunity. They work with marketing, finance, operations, engineering, and through the process of winning the deal, the message spread throughout the company that together we can solve anything and it changes everything. And in many situations, almost half of all my consulting gigs, the account executive who won the deal through deal storming moved up in the organization in less than a year. In several situations, I know about a dozen so far, they became the chief revenue officer, our SVP of sales, because collaboration is how you demonstrate leadership. 
And when you get outside of the silo of sales, you prove to senior management that you truly are a team player. I think that's why it really matters. All right, there you go. So, but this is counter to the culture. We, we're sales. We don't need no stinking marketing. We're sales. We don't need no stinking finance, right? right. I don't need a, look, I'm an all-star. I'm a player. I don't well, need help. And that it's important to talk about this. Collaboration across departments does not come naturally. You know, Jim, it doesn't. But here's the reality. When MHI did their research and they, they created this, this type of company, they called them world-class sellers. They sell 20% more than their competition, especially in technology and business outsourced solutions. The only thing they all had in common was that they had a culture of conscious collaboration outside of the silo. But let's get back to it. Here's why sales doesn't naturally want to do this, okay? Sales doesn't like to work with the land of no or the land of slow, right? Because you go talk to legal or finance, they say no. You go talk to marketing and operations, it's kind of slow. So you feel like when you create a cross-department collaboration thing around a deal, you're taking so long to organize meetings. You've got people that can actually shoot down very creative ideas in that meetings, but it's through that risk that you create real delivery opportunity. Because here's the other thing we noticed. Throughout all my projects, we were measuring KPIs like closing rate. And then when I was writing the book, we doubled back. And then what we started to look at was delivery quality. So we went back and asked over 100 situations, different, you know, about, about 60 companies, 100 accounts. We said on a scale of one to five, how well did you deliver on this solution, especially if it was custom? When we did the survey, dude, guess what? It was 2x higher than normal. You know why? When you involve the land of no and the land of slow, when it's still a sales challenge and not a delivery crisis, you're not throwing work over the wall anymore. You're involving them early on and they're really going to help you. But the main thing for sales is that you know, you don't want to open up your sales process where somebody else presumably has a vote, right? That's the thing that really causes us to pause. We're the ones that have our commission at risk. So it's really against our grain to reach outside of sales. But the reality is all the great ideas come from the edges where people don't know what they don't know. They're not held down by the same constraints we are in sales. And over and over again in deal storms, the breakthrough next play came from a surprising source, usually not the account executive. And I think that's the secret of why we should make an attempt. So I'm sold on this, right? What I'm going to do here, my goal in this lab is one, to educate you, but two, to convince them and challenge them to, to actually abs uh, absorb it and try to apply it, right? It's not good enough just for me to get it. So, dude, all this is great, but I'm telling you, this is so far from how most sales organizations think. We're asking them to jump across a pretty big creek. So I want one of my, tell us about the Disney story. Tell us how Yahoo used brainstorming to turn a skeptical Disney uh, company and really no competitive differentiators. You st this is the key to me is you started selling this. You guys didn't really have a big competitive differentiator and yet you used deal storming to not only win the deal, but to create a massive competitive differentiator and separate yourself from the crowd. And that to me is what it's about. How'd you do that? Tell everybody about okay. Disney. So great. So this goes back to 2001. Um, 2001 Yahoo movies was a property still is. We had traffic, but we certainly didn't have the eyeballs of, say, Friends or big TV shows. So when you're talking to a studio like Disney, what they care about is getting butts in seats on opening weekend, right? Because if you don't have a strong opening weekend, your distribution theatrically just dries up very, very quickly. So when we're pitching them on marketing solutions on Yahoo, even if they take over the home page, it's like literally a fraction, like a single digit fraction of what they could get by buying network TV. So we were having a hard time really getting them to see us as something more than a rounding error, you know, for distribution. So we created a deal storm out of this group that was created called the Value Lab. And you have to remember the context here, Jim, the dot-com crash happens in 2000, March, okay? All of yep. our dot-com clients start dying like bugs, okay? So yep. e-toys, whatever, they're just gone. And so we have a very short period of time you know, to preserve the company's longevity, to go out and get Disney and Nike and P&G and all these guys to take us seriously. 
So we're sitting in a room during one of these deal storms in the AEs. There's two of them on the case. They're leading the deal storm and they've been really smart. They've invited in marketing and brand research and engineering, even the data mining group and a variety of other players. And so what happens is during the meeting, and this is part of deal storming, we're having a 15 minute discussion on what the real problem is. Because deal storming is a process. It's not just throwing people into a room, right? That's a goat rodeo every single time. It's a very specific process you move through. And the first thing you do is verify why are we stuck on the deal and what's the problem behind the problem. So one of the guys, an engineer, and he's specifically a data mining specialist, he asks a very simple question. Are we selling the right thing? In other words, are we really stuck trying to sell market solutions or are we stuck trying to figure out a unique selling proposition? So he starts this discussion where we begin to ask ourselves, is there something else we should be trying? Is there some other problem we might be solving? And that's where he mentions that he's built an algorithm that can take search data and, and make it a prediction a week later for box office sales. And he shows us this graph from this movie, The Cell, and it blows our mind. It's almost like 90% accurate between what the search data said, you know, a week ago and what the box office is according to showbiz data today. So he tells the guy, this could be cool, but that might be a one-off. He goes and does this study over about 20 movies. And it's like the worst we do is 80%. The best we do on Pokemon is 99.8%. We knew that if we could go to Disney and say, listen, I know the internet is early, but we could use Yahoo search data and our technology to help you optimize your television advertising and Sunday newspaper advertising. Once we kind of got on that track through the deal strumming process and we presented that to the studio chief, dude, the game changes. Now we're in the account. Of course, we want them to buy media as fuel for our total marketing program. They try some promotions with us, they work. And then all of a sudden, we're seen as more strategic to the play. And that's what happened wait, wait, there. And it changed before everything. You before you transition, because I want that too, but I want to really reiterate this point that you just made, right? The deal storming effort got a data miner out of IT into the sales conversation. Right. Everybody. Yeah, and usually we only talk to him when we ask him to build something custom, right? That's why we don't invite them because we're afraid. You bring a guy like that in early and he's gonna shoot you down before you've shown the mock-ups and got the check. Because we always think, if I get the check, he's gonna do the work. But we involved him, his name was Elliot, really early, and we trusted the system. And we trusted that his involvement wouldn't slow us down. Turned out, it changed everything. Yes, and no, so so I, I'm doing this on purpose. Right? I'm sewing you down on purpose because I want to make sure people walk away and this sinks in. One, you invited somebody who traditionally has nothing to do with the sale in early. Two, you listen to him. You actually let him participate. You listen and then you applied what he threw out and that was a game changer. So you come up with this algorithm. You recognize a new value proposition, a, a unique value proposition that no one else can offer you take that to Disney and continue. Well, and, and let's get back to that, Jim. So when you run a deal storm, this is one of the first things I figured out by studying facilitation, because I have a big background in facilitating collaboration. The number one ground rule for a deal storm is ideas can come from anywhere. Really, really important. You lay that ground rule down before you do anything in a meeting. As the account executive who runs the meeting, you enforce it and you enforce it with an iron fist. Ideas can come from anywhere. There is a myth of creativity called the expert myth. It, yes. creates this, it creates this not invented here mentality that keeps us from being innovative. So it's like, yes. that's one of the things that we always emphasize in a deal storm is if you invite someone to the table, you have to listen to their idea and give them a chance to tell you the assumption behind the idea. By the no, way- the story about um, uh, gorillas in the mist, right? And how they made that movie work. Uh, they, no. they spent millions. They spent millions and millions of dollars trying to film these gorillas because they were live gorillas, and it was just about to bomb. They're about to pull the plug because they, they couldn't get a script out of it. I mean, yeah. they couldn't get the gorillas. They couldn't get the gorillas to follow the script, and they would work and work and finally had an equivalent of what you're calling a, a brainstorming session. And an uh, intern said, "Why don't we just scrap everything we got?" 
and just shoot the gorillas for a year and then build the script around what the gorillas do. Mm-hmm. And they like, hey, that's a great idea. But it was an intern that nobody would have listened to that wasn't there to be part of the process. So it, yeah. yes, go. So here's an analogy I always use. Um, if you saw a fish in a fishbowl and the fish could talk and the fish could understand what you said and you asked the fish, hey, how's the water? The fish would probably ask the following question. What's water? Okay, yeah. that's the problem. That's the problem when you try to solve a big sales challenge inside the sales silo, right? We are so steeped in our sales process, activity management, right? Demo to sale. We're so steeped in that. We think about objections as opposed to innovation so much. It's hard for us to go outside the grid, right? But you bring in someone who's not in sales world. They don't even know there's such a thing as a sales process. They're like, what? Challenge yourself. Never even heard of that. And so they start bringing ideas up. So, you know, when you in a deal storm, the analogy I use for how you run one of these things is when you're getting into the discussion, like in gorillas, when you get into the solution discussion, it's like a camera lens. There's the opening, the narrowing and the closing. As a facilitator of a deal storm, you enforce that, right? So when we're in opening, anyone can offer an idea as long as they'll tell you the assumption behind the idea. And we, we park it, okay? Got an idea. We're going to shoot the gorillas for a year. What's your assumption behind that? Well, eventually, like a reality show, they'll forget the cameras are there. Hmm, that's an interesting assumption. Write it down. And then everybody else gets a chance, if they have an idea, to do the same thing. And you could do that relatively quick. Then you narrow the discussion. That's where people begin to weigh in. Will that solve the problem? Does that have a logistical or psychological downside? And that's where you get the finalist and you're debating now, which you never do in a brainstorm, right? That's not cool. And then you get a final and you guys decide on it. You assign work to everybody in the room and maybe you get a backup play if something doesn't check out. That's the way you do this process of deal storming to get that next best play. That actually likely works. I love that. So how did it, so how did it play out for Disney? Because I don't want to spoil it. So finish the Disney story. How did it play out? You came out with this new unique value so, proposition. Yes. And you know, it's funny. I, I, for those of you that are on here that read Love is the Killer app, you're going to recognize this story from the opening of that book. But so, so the very next time we had a meeting at Disney headquarters in Burbank, and the president, Ornaviv, is there, and all of his right-hand people are there, and our blocker is there. This is the person. She's really against them spending a lot of time on this digital effort and getting away from the offline stuff. They're all in the room. And we make this decision that instead of me making a presentation, the account execs revealing all the data, and we're all very good communicators, we're gonna put Elliot up, who's a data mining guy. He's very introverted, doesn't, he's like the Mitch Hedberg, if you will, you know, the glasses, eyes down, very quiet kind of guy, doesn't have much of a sense of humor. We give that guy the first half hour and he blows the room away with truth and science. And it was a huge gamble, but it was the right gamble, first of all, because we needed to prove to him we really, you know, we don't just want his ideas, we want his participation, and we got it. So once he presents these findings, the Disney team realizes that there's something more to the internet than banner ads. And that's where the conversation shifts to the account executives' proposed promotional ideas for a few upcoming movies. And by the way, should Disney move forward, we would give them access to this buzz index data for them to think about, say, movies you know, coming down the pipeline later like Pearl Harbor. Okay, so we get a deal immediately. I mean, it's not a multi-multi-million dollar deal, but it's a decent promotional deal. Our team executes. We synchronize with their research team on data. And within a few years, we're a very significant partner to Disney and, by example, Universal and everybody else in town. It really was a game changer for us, and it all came from a collaborative meeting where for the first 15 minutes, we were willing to debate the real problem. So you know what I love about this too, Tim? It, and you don't, you talk about it a little bit in your book, but you talk about it almost like the, the fish does water, right? You don't realize you're in water. You, you, as you go through the book, the underlying assumption to all this is that as salespeople, our job is to solve a problem or business problem for our customers, not to push a product. Right. So deal yeah. storming isn't going to work. But deal storming is not going to work very well if you have a product centric 
feature function centric sales organization. That's the other thing I like about this is by default, if executed correctly, it forces you to be a problem solving valuable asset to your customers rather than a sales product pushing company. Agree? Right. That happens to be your title, but you have a bigger function. Let me give you the way I think about this. Uh, uh, Carlos Menstilia, did I say that right? Carlos Menstilia used to say that he feels like he has to audition sometimes just to do his job. And I think that that's what happens for us in sales. We know we've got the right solution for the customer, but we have to help the customer get out of their own way. Right. So it's like the, the corporate executive board guys, they talk a lot about this in their newest book, The Challenger Customer. They say, you know, really, we don't sell a product or a service. We sell change. And our competitor is the status quo. And the problems that we're solving for the customer are their buying problems. And that gives us the right for them then to take delivery of our real solutions. So when we say it's a thousand problems solved, if I were to create a pie chart for it, guy, I would think that a third of the problems are our side of the firewall. We have problems, wrong people, wrong process, wrong selling device, wrong combination. We got to solve those problems. Then we have to help this dysfunctioning buying team. They've got their own team mm -hmm. trying to buy something by a committee. We got to help them solve all their problems that glue them to the status quo. And if we solve those two thirds of the problems, then we actually get to get into standard sales process where you begin to discover their pain points, identify the urgency, clarify the prescription, create a roadmap to change it, all that stuff. For so long, we thought that was what we did. No, that's something you audition to do through the process, starts inside, then it starts with challenging the status quo, and then finally we become solution providers. That, that, and I know you know that, but that's been a big aha to me, is that most of the deal problems we face are on our side. Big time, big time. So that's okay, good segue. So understanding that how do we pitch the value or how do we get the sales team and the sales manager and the sales executive, right, to buy into the value of this, right? It's like, hey, look, because, Okay, I got a whole bunch of questions around the implementation of this, so we'll study how do you get them to buy into the value? Okay, so it's all about culture, right? So culture is the software that creates automatic responses uh, for everybody in an organization. It creates the intuition. How do we do things here, right? Culture is a conversation led by leaders and punctuated by stories about how we do things here, right? Yeah. So when I've been in, 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 in consulting gigs where I'd see the culture shift, from sales silo to one team, one company, it's always by example, right? So the sales leader or a, a very audacious sales manager looked into the pipeline, qualified a deal storm. She said, big opportunity, high degree of difficulty. They built a team. They solved it faster than normal. It ended up being bigger than normal. And they escalated the case study up to senior management in days not next year at sales conference. And all of a sudden it became the war story, like career builder, for example, when Alyssa D'Amato's not only saves their biggest account, but seven X's it by creating a multi, multi-person deal storm. Every other AE wants to be her. She's changed the game, biggest deal in corporate history. It's all the CEOs talking about at conference and at club. All of a sudden, deal storming breaks out throughout the company. So if you're watching this and you say, I want to change our culture, pick a spot, get in where you fit in, build the deal storming process. If you want to tell me about your problems, dude, I'm available. I'm Tim at deepermedia.com. I'll give you advice on whether you pick the right team. I'll give you advice as to whether you're writing the right deal brief to prep your team. Um, I want to see it succeed in your culture, but it's done one win at a time. There is no policy. It's like Salesforce, right? You can't say if you don't get on Salesforce, you don't get your commission. I've seen that done. It's ugly. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is you have to find a situation where SFA changes the game, make it a campfire story, and then everybody's on Salesforce. Same goes for deal storm. Got it. All right, everybody, real quick, bunch of new people are on watching this. We are talking about Tim Sanders' new book, Deal Storming. I'll stop bouncing around, which is almost impossible for me. Um, but uh, it is not even out yet. It'll be out on the 25th, but you can get the first chapter, which is, I think, genius. Wait, I know it is. It's genius is a team sport. Uh, can That's you right. put that back in? Put the link in there again, please. Yep, link. The link is there. It's dealstorming.net. 
Yep, dealswimming.net. She's going to drop in the link. There it is right there. So you can get it. Boom. So when we boom, bang, and then some, we're talking about how you can implement in your organization, why it matters. It's been good stuff. So I'm going to go to the next half of this equation, right? How do you, I know it's going to be cultural, but I want, I want to get to be specific. How do you get the other side of the organization to buy in, right? There's a lot of, it's not my job. It's going to happen. I can see this coming a mile away. You're talking to a guy who lived, who lived for bringing new things into organizations, who tried to, to leverage new methodologies and approaches. And if I heard it's not my job, one more time, I was going to punch someone in the nose. They live this. So how do you get finance? How do you get IT? These folks who already have an aversion sales, hey, you get paid the fucking big bucks. Why the fuck am I going to help you? How do you get them to help? There's a couple of ways, but I want to start with a question. Yeah. Ready? I'm why, ready. Why are you and I doing this lab right now? How did you and I get connected? Well, why do, why do I like you so much? Why do you resonate with me? Where does that start? Uh, relationships. Mm -hmm. And where do we start it? Sales stat conference. Hey, Max. Give and Max where were we? And yeah, I love Max. He's a great guy. But think about it. It's like we're just sitting at a table having breakfast right? Yep. And you and I start talking and you tell me about your new book, which by the way, I love your book. I've now bought four copies. I should get my commission oh. soon. Um, but we made a connection. Yeah, there you go, brother. We made a connection over food. So let me give you the first piece of advice. If I could tell you one thing I did at Yahoo, which created the foundation for the value lab and for deal storming, when I first showed up, I mean, first showed up, they had just bought our company. I worked for Mark Cuban at broadcast.com. I show up. It's like, late 99 and i noticed that sales sits in one part of the cafeteria yeah. engineering and programming in another building in santa clara everybody's all segmented away from each other and for whatever reason because broadcast started and i was really early we were like a, a little litter you know of people trying to survive i didn't get it so you know i adopted a, a mantra never eat with sales so every I like lunch I had was with somebody different. I'd go sit with revenue recognition and finance and I'd be, I'd hear their problems and they'd bitch about sales and I'd offer my help and they'd take me up on it. I remember helping somebody in revenue recognition do his PowerPoint for a staff meeting because he couldn't figure out how to drop the images in right. So I help him. And then I do the same thing for the guys that are programming Yahoo Sports. And I do the same thing for people that are doing engineering of sales operations. And here's what I learned. The best time to build relationships is long before you need them. Like credit. Relationships exactly. Like so if you go like in credit. there across the company and you start building relationships by being empathetic and helpful, expect nothing in return. When you double back to them and say, guys, we're stuck with a big sales challenge. It's multi-million dollars. I need your help. They're like, where and when? So that's the first piece of advice. Build relationships. Don't ask for favors. Okay. Number two. When you create a deal storm, you're not inviting people to come to a meeting. You're inviting them to join a team, to join a cause. So I tell people all the time, when you create your deal storm brief that you're going to send out to recruit people, don't just say it's a $7 million opportunity. That's sales thinking. You need to find a lever everybody cares about, right? So at Yahoo, what I used all the time was our bitter rivalry with AOL Time Warner. We already battled with AOL, but after the merger with Warner, Ted Turner's going out on meetings and kicking our butt and it pissed us off. So it wasn't just sales. Everybody in the company thought we were rivals, right? And so you know the definition of rival, Jim. You guys know that from the Denver, you know, Pats game. A rival yeah. is a, a, a situation where the, the, the sting of losing greatly exceeds the joy of winning, yes. right? So you can't lose to a rival. I would use that. So when I would go to people, I would walk up to an engineer and say, Ted Turner's about to kick our butt on this P&G deal, and I need your help. Because Matt, if you don't help us, AOL is going to be on a conference call in 90 days saying, once again, with a fraction of the traffic, we crushed Yahoo. And those guys are like, where and when? And not only do they show up, they reveal what they know, right? Because this is the secret to collaboration. You invite people from the edges who have a stake in the outcome. You extend the umbrella of grace and you create an environment where they tell you the truth. Because oh, oftentimes the reason we get stuck is we don't know the truth. So that's the that other thing. Soft. And for some co companies, like I know LinkedIn, I was talking to some folks there. 
they're not so bitter rivals with other people. Their thing is about excellence. Their thing is that they're great problem solvers and they see rapid problem solving as their competitive advantage. So that becomes the lever. We're stuck. We can't solve it in sales silo, but LinkedIn is a great problem solving company. Will you come help us solve a problem? Lever. So you've got to think of those two things, relationships and levers, and you can get people involved in your deal storm. And let me say one more thing, too. I don't mean to interrupt you. One more thing. Recognition. So in the beginning, you may have problems getting people involved. But I was talking to a guy, Mark Schmitz at SAP Cloud. And what they started to do is every year when they do President's Club, they invite one or two people from outside of sales like legal or finance or operations who help them on deals. And that person goes to club and is treated like a rock star. That changes everything, too. Okay. All right. So I'm seeing two things here that are quick, that two skills that I think are critical. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Lack of ego or humility and leadership. Because if you don't have those, I don't see how deal storming works. Right. 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 You got to have it. I mean, what you've got to do is you've got to create an environment that replaces ego with purpose. Right. Because think about, you know, the, that, that's what ego is. You know, ego is this opposite of meaning. So there's the deeper meaning within us, and then there's the shallow meaning of us. And I'm not trying to get into the id and all that stuff, but the point of it is a very strong why overcomes the me, right? So in collaboration talk, we always think, how in the world can I get everyone in the room to make that leap from me to we? Your agenda and operations to our agenda as a company. Your agenda in sales to our agenda as a company. So making the leap to me to we is hard. And you can do it somewhat with relationships. And you can do it somewhat with repeated collaborative projects. But understanding the big purpose of this project is a game changer. And I think that's always going to be step one. And that's how I qualify a deal storm in the first place. There's got to be something strategic to the opportunity. All right. All right. So I want to shift a little. Okay. You started talking about this before. I think this is hugely important. I actually talked a little bit about my book in the think chapter. Okay. You talk a lot about it. You've used the word a bunch of times solving problems, right? Solving problems. Take a few minutes, because we're going to spend the rest of the time on this idea of what's different today and why is it so important in in the context of solving problems? Start from the beginning. Why are the problems more complex? Are they more complex? What didn't we do in the past? Let's spend some time on this problem-solving piece, because it's it's, it's a keystone to it. It is, right? So... The reason we start this at Yahoo, let's get back to the beginning, right, is that a big deal or a deal with a big company that had never done Internet deals before, there was a lot of complexity to that because of the recession. Uncertainty makes deal making complicated. Economic uncertainty makes change sound like a stupid idea. So we battled through the recession using collaboration. Well, guess what, Jim? There's a new complexity driver in town, and it's called multiple decision makers, right? And we've seen this rising since 2009. I mentioned corporate executive board. They say, you know, we've got a 5.7 problem. 5.7 yes. decision makers. We've got they were, they were past host. They were past guests. We had CEB on here about customer, uh, yeah. the customer, challenge customer a little while ago. So, yes. So, so there's 5.7, but here's the trigger. IDC Corporation has been studying this and in technology solutions, that number of decision makers is climbing by 15% year over year over year. Why? Well, because corporations realize that collaboration accomplishes better deal making. In other words, they're teaming up against us and they're going, they're kind of taking deal storming inside out and procurement specialists like Bain are teaching them, don't let a user make a technology decision and don't let a dynamic duo of a business user and an IT user make a decision, create the Justice League and get operations and finance and everybody in there and we'll get the best price and the best cost of ownership. And guess what happens? They can't function as a team because they can't go from me to we. And so now we we can't track them down and sell them all. Now we can't use our standard sales collateral and hope that punches through this problem. So that's one of the issues. And the other issue is the products that we sell today are so complex themselves 
right? It's like when I started out, I sold radio spots, dude. They were on a cart. You put the cart in the machine, it played the spot. If people walked into the drugstore, you got another order. You didn't even have a contract. You got a check. Talk about simple. But today, when you're selling digital media, it's like no different than selling an SAP integration, for God's sake. So there's a high degree of complexity. And here's the last thing. Customers are empowered to do their own research. So by the time we get to them, they think they know everything, and often they know all the wrong things, and we have to unteach them, which is complicated. I always tell my friends, like, don't go on Google if you wake up and have some spot on your chest, right? Because if you put that on Google, do you know what you're going to be told? That you're going to die, right? And that's what happens when we do self-education to create business solution architecture. When we don't bring sales in until we're 70% through the process, can you see what a mountain sales has to climb now? Disinformation on top of the status quo being firmly entrenched. So those three things together make deal-making more complicated than ever. And it presses us to do more sales innovation. And that's the point of this free chapter. Genius is a team sport, right? We can't solve these complex problems on our own. We've got to stop treating marketing and operations like an internal service bureau where we're the customer. That's been bubbling up for 20 years, right? The internal customer crap. We've got to stop that. That is not a collaborative environment. That's just throwing work over the wall. One marketing executive, when we went into one of these uh, consulting things, it was a defense contractor who was trying to break into IT away from bomb making. And they said, you know, the marketing folks said, I don't know why we should work with the sales team because the only time we ever hear from them is when we're late on collateral or they think the marketing didn't work. Well, that's not how you do it, right? So as things get more complex, we've got to get more collaborative. I dig that. I think the the key that I really want people to walk away from this is the mountain-sized problems we're facing today. And the only way you're going to win the sale is if you can come up with more solutions, more creative solutions and solutions that deliver higher value. And so the more people that you enlist into that problem solving process, the more thinking that's going on. Right. You call it problem solving. You know, in my book, I call it thinking. Look, most of us don't think enough as it is. To be perfectly frank, right? I, I, I've worked with tons of people. Some of the smart, some people have risen to pretty big places. And I have a 15, 20 minute conversation with you. You're not much of a freaking thinker. All you're doing is building on what you learned before, and it's been allowed you to climb, but you haven't really thought anything. You just keep stepping on the Lego that you put there before. And if you don't create environments that tear down his or her Legos and everybody else's to force them to put them back together and create something new, we don't get very far. So I love this idea. So one of the one of the ways I think about it too is that what we want to do is we want to get people to take on a persona, right? I talk about this idea that there's four levels to a sale. You know, you got to contact them, you've got to conceive of the right deal, you've got to convince them you're right, then you got to get them under contract. But when you bring people into this collaborative environment, especially real diverse perspectives, you can play the hacker and have a different approach. You can play the chef and start thinking about taste profiles, unique recipes, plating options, or if you're in the convinced level and you're stuck there, you could play the artist and you could try to figure out how to stop showing them numbers and start giving them creative devices, illustrations, analogies, metaphors, infographics that help you sell long after you're in the car on the way home when they're showing it to influencers that you will never meet. So regardless of the, whether you're the hacker, the chef, or the artist, these deal storm opportunities create an opportunity for us to lay down our day job and do something truly creative. This is phenomenal. This is fantastic. Listen, folks, we are talking about Tim Sanders' deal storming, his revolutionary and badass, forget what, I hate that word, his badass, unique, um, effective approach to closing really big deals in this 21st century where the old ways just don't work uh, is just killer. So with that, let's give some folks a chance to ask you some questions, Tim. We're going to open this sucker up. I think we got our boy Frank Clark Coach jumping in first. So if you want to open that seat and let Frank join us. What's up, Frank? Oh, I got to let him in. Bow. Here he comes. Hey, Frank. how are you? Hey, Frank. Nice to meet you. Great to meet you, Tim. Uh, really love what you're saying here, and I, I loved uh, loved your 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 book. Um, uh, I, I posted it here. The uh, 
Love is the killer. Love is the killer app. No, no, the other one. Likeability factor. No, not that other one. The one about your grandmother. Today we are rich. There you go, buddy. (laughs) Thank you, Frank. That touched the chord in me because my grandmother was also a a huge um, mentor in my life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just love, and and when I picked it up, my sister recommended it. And it was at a time when I was going through some uh, stuff, if you will. So it reminded me of uh, all the stuff I already knew and to get back on track with, you know, going back to all the good um, stuff like reading and seminaring and <laughs> all that great stuff. So thank you very much for writing that book. Thank I really you, appreciate yeah. it. It hit me at a good time. So I agree with so much of what you're saying because communications has always been a major problem in business and getting the, the silos to align around a common mission, common purpose is a never-ending challenge when you're running a company, especially as you scale. So how do you, you know, train salespeople to get along with operations or marketing or, or whatever? Even, even sales and marketing are not on the, on the same page, right? They've got different agendas and objectives and, and so forth. So how do you train people to think out of the box and come together around that common purpose? Because it's got to come from the top. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of ideas here. Uh, but the thing I want to tell you that I, is the most important is that people are naturally creative. And... This is not something you need to bring out. It's something you need to unleash inside your organization. And the last chapter of my book talks about how innovation happens at the exchange of relationships between the leader and the member, right? So if a manager is extending latitude, that means freedom, in exchange for competence, that means not screwing it up, and they're very consistent about that, the salesperson's going to get very creative. If the manager gives coaching and opportunities, stretch goals, in exchange for loyalty to the organization, that's an exchange, then the salesperson um, becomes much better at taking ideas that are unexpected but making them appropriate from day one. So I believe that the way that we unleash creativity in an organization is to improve relationship quality. And it's a paradigm shift, Frank, because so many sales managers think about the relationship they have with their team. That's BS. We don't have relationships with groups. Relationships are between two and two people only. So if you want to boost creativity, devote yourself to develop high value relationships based on an exchange because relationships are like swap meets. The one thing we know about salespeople is the thing they want more than money is freedom to do their job the way they want to do their job. But we don't give them that much rope. And I think that holds a lot of us back. That's the first thing I want to say. Here's the second thing. If you want to teach people to collaborate across departments, deploy them across departments as volunteers and reward them in the annual review for doing that. When they have to go contribute their expertise to a marketing problem or to an ops problem, et cetera, it triggers empathy. Because for the first time, they're going to have to see things from their point of view. And that's something that I've coached some legacy organizations to do where the silo was just too hardened, you know, in terms of sales. And here's the last thing. I think we have to change how we recruit talent in the age of the complex sale. Amen. Amen. We have to ask different questions. We have to hide the resume. That's a new trick I got one of my clients to do. No more looking (laughs) at sales production from your last job. I'm going to use a football example here. DeMarco Murray had a bad year for the Eagles, but you know why? It has nothing to do with Chip Kelly. It's because he was successful in the Cowboys system. And when they took him out of that system, he wasn't successful. That's why 50% of all top producers in B2B don't make club their first year after they jump jobs. Okay. What we should do instead in the interview is ask that person, tell me about a project you volunteered for in your last job outside of your department. Why did you do it? What was your role? How did it go? And if he looks at you blankly and says, I've never done it, you're not looking at a team player. You're staring at a lone wolf. So we've got to change the way we think about talent acquisition of salespeople and start going for more bricklayers than rock stars. And you'll see a collaborative culture form at the base of your company, even if it's just at the SDR or inside sales level. Rob, 
so many so many companies get this wrong, especially in sales organizations. If you look at the real estate industry with brokers, or if you yeah. look at the uh, financial advisor industry, it, all the compensation and incentive structure is all aligned toward top producers, right? You got to sell more houses, stocks, and bonds, or you know, mortgage-backed securities, or whatever it might be. It's What's a metric, that? right? It's a metric. I mean, it's what it's a metric. Do. The way to do it, but right? they're not compensating at all. And we were just talking about this on another blab this week for collaboration and working together and making things happen. And they're not even measuring it; they're not even looking at it. So if yeah, you're not measuring, measuring it and you're not incenting it, okay, right? Let me I'd like to jump in on that one, Tim. Yeah. So, so Frank, I agree with you, right? You measure it, but you can't compensate on it because here's the bottom line, right? If if we want to measure going along with, with Tim's analogy, I use. Um, a quarterback like Tom Brady in the read, uh, the, the read option offense versus the pocket offense. If I call can, him Tom Shady. Right? Sorry. Yes. If you can – HGH, anyways. Yes. If you can, <laughs> if you can reasonably, <laughs> but you actually can't throw the ball and make the completion, it does no good to reward and the ability to read the defense. So same right. thing here. Measure collaboration. Um, tell – you know, give people pats on the back. Make it part of your culture – but you still have to um, pay on and reward the result because if someone is a horrible collaborator and can't get the result, it doesn't do you any more good if someone's a brilliant collaborator and can't get yep. to the result. Don't yeah, pull I want to I emphasize that Jim's right here. The ultimate currency for collaboration is recognition. And the trick here is to recognize efforts and courage and not ideas right? Because if you start saying, hey, Jim had this idea that led to victory, everybody around Jim is going to go, wait a minute. I said that we should do this. And another person is like, wait a minute. I'm the guy that came up with the tweak to that. And someone is like, wait a minute. I'm the guy that solved this problem with this idea. And it's like a band, right? People ask me all the time, why did Jane's Addiction break up? It's one of my favorite bands. I played in an alt band like that back then. If you live in L.A., you find out that Jane's breaks up because Perry Farrell tries to take credit for writing the songs. So Eric A. is like, screw you. David Navarro says the same thing. It's like you've got to share credit in an organization, but you've got to understand that the ideas are all created by everyone. So that's a minor distinction on recognition, but I think it's an important one. And it's all about getting the egos out of the way. Because like you said, you know, with bands, why do they break up? I mean, people get so caught up in their egos. Look at Guns N' Roses or something like that, or the Kinks, you know, brothers who simply can't get along. So you've got to figure out how to get the ego out of the equation so that people can start actually communicating and creating and and, and building relationships. Welcome, by the way, to Blab. How do you like this platform one day on the platform? Yeah, it's pretty smoking cool, dude. It's pretty smoking cool. <laughs> thing. Thank you. Hey, we got a question here from Mike. This is interesting. Yes, let's open up. The- I'll jump out then. Let let Mike come on. But I just want to let you know. I tweeted the the CEO of Blab told him he should be here or at least watch the replay on your your talk here. So right on, on baby. Cool, cool. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right, great talking to you. Great meeting you. Thank you so much. And uh, I'd love to do a Blab with you someday too. I'll uh, I'll DM let's you. Let's do it. Hit me up on Twitter, All right, Bubba. Cool. All right, man. Awesome. Bye-bye. Okay, so um, Mike Baltus, Mike B, Mike B, what if a volunteer on, opportunity? Mike. Are you Let's there, Mike? Mike? Do you want to join? Let's see if we can get him on here. All right, uh, I have a ski hat head. So what? <laughs> so what? Here he so comes. That's the. There you go. What we just said. All right, Yes. Hey, Mike. How's it going, buddy? So go ahead okay, and ask morning. us a question. I think it's a good one. <clears throat> well, in your example, you make sure my wife's not on the phone. No, good. Yeah. We have a co-working space, which is uh, our bedroom. Um, <laughs> co-working. I like Co-working that. space. Co-working. I like that. I bet breaks are a lot of fun at your house. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. It's with the beautiful weather we're having here in Denver this morning or this afternoon, we're out. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting the road bikes out so we can go for a ride. Um, oh, no pun intended. <laughs> no, but in your example, you said, you know, a very great example of, you know, throwing the resume away and, and realizing the person for some efforts. But what if that, that resource openly and transparently came forward and said, you know, I did volunteer and, and, and the metrics wasn't at all what we expected. Um, I, I was part of the team or led the team or whatever. You're just yeah. being 
you owned it. You owned the crap. Right. And right. it just didn't go the way you wanted it to. How <laughs> yeah. would you have that person be viewed? You know, I mean, well, you, you know, know, that's a good hopefully question. Hopefully not I as can... an outlier. Yeah. Know? Well, I, I so. was I was asked that once by this defense contractor because they were literally going to change their staffing interviews to do this, right? So I always told them, I said, it's like the old the old thing when we were recruiting managers and you say, you know, tell me the last three books you read that helped you become a better business person. It's a trick question. Okay. You really don't care what books they read. You care that they read. So, 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 so the right answer to that question is any books doesn't matter. Same here. When I say, tell me about a project you volunteered for outside your group role, how did it go? I care about the first two, but not the third, because I don't know the culture of your last company. I don't know if it was some hierarchy where they accidentally invited the CEO to the, to the collaboration meeting. Bad idea, by the way, bad idea. Sure. What I care about is that you volunteered. What I care about is that you knew your role in the organization. That tells me that you have the inclination and the intuition to be a team builder, team player, right? That's what's important. In fact, if they will admit that it didn't work, that it was a huge failure, unless they start pointing fingers at other people in other departments, I'm going to be really impressed by their transparency, right? So to answer your question, we're looking for people who have a history of volunteering outside their group or have some instinct about the, the, the nature of taking a role in a meeting as opposed to just showing up. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Well, yeah, congratulations. Thanks for, well, thanks. And, and, and Keenan and, and Bunny, I always appreciate you guys delivering the value. Tim, welcome to Blab. Uh, it's, a, it's an yeah, amazing platform right? with some really amazing people on it. Uh, it's grown exponentially and, and it's still got a lot more room to grow. It's got a lot of runway. And by the way, Keenan, I'm really, really sorry about the Patriots. Uh, you know, hey, I, look, I, it's okay. <laughs> I'll say what I said two years ago and Kiki can back me up. Going into the game, I was like, I don't think I want to win this game because like two years ago, this is the year of the NFC, and I don't like going to Super Bowls and losing them. We have a dynasty to protect, right? Yeah. Denver's known for losing. We're not, I, so, you know. The, I, yeah, the, the omnipresent. Yeah, I can own the loser for my team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll move out of the way so other people can get on here. Thank you, guys. Great uh, content. And Tim, by the way, thank you for the free chapter to your book because I am now – on your email list. Right on, Boom. dude. Right on. Boom. <laughs> Mike Kraft. Mike, thanks for coming so much. Um, does anybody else anybody else want to jump on? We'll, we, we're going to wrap up here in a second, but if anybody else wants to jump on, we'll keep the seat open for one more minute. Um, Tim, I'm so happy we got the chance to meet. It was one of those things. We're both so, you know, neck deep in this sales world. We've yep. both been, we know, all the same people, but for whatever crazy reason, we just never came. We may have gone like this, and you know, right. we never went like this, which blew my mind until sales stack. So make sure we hit up Max and say thank you. Um, but I'm glad well, we did find that. Are you going to be at Saster? I am not. I am not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Anyway, it's a pleasure to meet you too, Bunny. You too. I am so I'm so into energy. I like people that have a passion for their work. I like smart people. You know, Jim, it's a pleasure to meet you. I remember that um, it was I, I, when I first got to SalesStack that day. Um, our common friend, you know, Jack points you out and says that guy's cool, and, and, <laughs> and that's the kind of thing I'm always going to respond to in life. Thank you. And back at you, dude. Uh, you're you're we'll do a big group hug session here. Your intellect your ability to break down complex problems, and then your passion for people. Like, I have found that you have really, really, really smart, successful people who can be approachable, but for all intent purposes, they're not, you know, it's just their nature, they're not that much. Right. And then you have super, super right. loving, caring, giving people, but they, for whatever reason, they don't usually elevate to the highest areas. And it's such a rare, rare gem to find someone who combines the two, who's just cerebral, intellectual, I'm gonna solve the problems of the world, and hey, give me a hug. Right, and that's there you. There it is, buddy. There it is. Love that. So, so that was my big draw to you. That that combination of two. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So, with that, Kiki, you, thank you for running a great show today. You always run a great show. <laughs> I'm the silent operator. <laughs> yes, I keep always mean to try to get you more in, but you know we get going. The next thing you know, but you did great work as always. Thank you very much. All right, people, listen. This is the word. Okay, a sales. 
a sales show 411 of Keenan and Kiki. We have badass guests. We teach you sales and we do it without boring you. We do it without being like the same old 1970s, 80s, 90s stiff suit. I got to up my butt. Look, sales about getting stuff done, sales about solving problems, sales about being collaborative. It's Tim Show with us today. And you better be having fun while you do it. So all of those who are new, iTunes, you can find me there. You can find us on um, YouTube. All the words are there. All the Hey Keenan's are there. Book not taught. If you haven't got this, you need to get it. Every day I go and we're selling more and more of them. People are starting to really get excited about this. Someone's throwing up a blab tomorrow without us to talk about it. They bought it for the whole company. You need to read this. It's similar to what Tim is doing, but for the individual as opposed to the company. So right. let's get on it. Um, did I do all the selling stuff, all the self-promotion, which I, did I get it all, Keek? All of that is combined on www.asalesguy.com, including this episode and every other episode. This is number 23 for us, um, so you can always track it there as well. And I am dropping the link for Tim's free chapter one more time. So if you didn't get it, it's not too late. And for our audio listeners, it is dealstorming.net. So go click up your free chapter now, and I'm sure you'll buy the rest of it. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you very much. We're going to stop recording. We'll stay on for one more minute if anybody has any other questions. But until then, until next time, peeps, Kiki, we ready? We are. Boom. See you, folks. Just a chill to the next episode.